Uh, so in worship here, we've been in this series called uh, Soul Keeping. And uh, we started that last week considering what the soul is so that we could uh, really uh, build on the rest of that, knowing what our soul is and why it's important for us. And so we've entitled this series Soul Keeping uh, because the idea is what we choose to keep, what we choose to save, uh, really what we choose to kind of hold on to and grasp in our lives is usually uh, what is the most important to us. Uh, we keep money in savings accounts. We keep memories maybe in scrapbooks or in other uh, digital media. Uh, sometimes we keep junk in storage units. Must be important to us. Uh, I myself, I typically keep a lot of tech things, especially like cables and parts and different things. I thought about putting a picture of my closet, but I'm like, nobody wants to see that because it's just bins of random parts and junk. So, but because that's something important to me, I keep that stuff in case I use it someday. And so the Bible tells us that above all things, what we must keep is our soul. And yet the soul, as we kind of established last week, might be one of those things that we think about the least. And so last week we talked about what the soul is, that the soul is you. You are a soul. And once we understand that, then we can better understand the struggles that we go through. We talk about that today and how we can go through these soul struggles as well. And we know there's lots of struggles in this world, right? I mean, uh, it could be as something as simple as, as you look over the past year since we've started this new year, and you've noticed how maybe you're wearing your soul thin. You've been, become busy and, and just packed your life full of activities. Or maybe you've found that you're, you're less than present with your friends and your family, or, or that you've turned your relationships from interactions into transactions and what you can get from people in your life. Of course, then there's struggles like, like power struggles between even nations and, and in, in businesses and even between parents and children. There's health struggles. There's financial struggles. And since you are a soul, these struggles that we go through that seemingly affect us in various ways, they can very easily turn into soul struggles as well, things that affect our whole being. And so to better understand then those soul struggles, we turn to Psalm 42 today as our theme to kind of listen to the words of the psalmist, pour out his heart, and speak a bit about the struggle that he is going through at this moment in his life. I want to begin by looking at then the superscription of this, uh, this psalm, Psalm 42. So if you looked in your Bibles, right underneath that, you'd see uh, kind of like a heading. It's a description of what this psalm is about. And it says, for the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So we find out right away that this is actually, this psalm is designed to be a song. It's for the director of music to kind of share and guide people in singing. And it's a type of song. It's a mascal, which means it's a type of meditation. It's a type of remembrance. It's, it's thinking back over years of things happening and then uh, proclaiming and, and crying out about these things in a, in a form of music. It also tells us it's of the sons of Korah, which is actually a helpful detail because 
if we were to go back and look at the genealogy of, the, of the, these, uh, these sons of Korah, you would see through the generations a lot of struggle. Some of it, much of it, self-inflicted, and yet at the same time, this psalm builds, though we don't know what's going on at this moment, it builds on those many years of struggle. It reflects on all these things that have occurred in the past. And it's with that then we start hearing the psalmist cry out, call out in the first couple verses. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Right away, we start to get a sense of what is going on, what, the, what feelings are going on for the psalmist as he writes this. It almost sounds like maybe he's going through a, a period of dehydration, of, of just dealing with things, basic needs of body, of the body. It says even his soul longs for God. Psalmist is dealing with, 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 with burnout, with serious issues of, of needing water to drink, of needing the basics of life. And then he goes on to say, when can I go and talk with God about these things? When can I speak to the manager about what's going on in my life? That's basically what he's saying. Sounds like God feels a million miles away from the psalmist in this moment. But he goes further. The next verse, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? So not only is there this sense of of dehydration, of lack of water, but now it almost sounds like the psalmist is going through starvation as well. His tears are his only food day and night. And if that's not bad enough, people are just saying, look at your God is nowhere. Where is he in your time of struggle? It's safe to say this psalmist is going through some serious struggle in his life, in his soul. With that, I think we all agree that, that all of us go through times of struggle in our lives. Whether it feels like that at this moment or it's been in the past or it will be in the future, we all go through various types of struggles in our lives. Maybe even to the point where we want to echo those words of the psalmist. And so knowing that, with the reminder of our time, what I'd like to do is actually consider through uh, the eyes of the psalmist essentially three types of soul struggles that really uh, maybe are kind of on the, on the, of the basis of all the other outside struggles that we experience in our life. And while this is not an exhaustive list, I do think it's representative of some of the most common soul struggles we go through when you really kind of get down to the basics of it. And so first, I thought we'd talk a little bit about doubt, the soul struggle of doubt. This is when we have questions about God in our life. When we know in our head that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, but then the doubt comes in and maybe we wonder even just a little bit, what if that isn't true? It's not even acknowledging that it might not be true. It's just saying, well, what if it's not? What if somebody made this up and I'm part of a hoax? 
even for us as we, as we sit in church and we say, yeah, well, I, I, don't, I don't struggle with that. Sometimes this doubt shows up as these secret questions deep down, things we're afraid to ask, afraid to acknowledge, because what if people criticize? What if people think I don't believe strong enough? I don't have faith, and they think something's wrong with me. And especially in those cases, we often might go to the wrong places for answers instead of looking for the answers we seek in Scripture from God. But guess what? Everybody deals with doubt. I don't care who you are, we all deal with doubt. Even Solomon in Scripture, this guy that God had blessed with incredible wisdom, even Solomon struggled with one thing overall, and that was doubt. In fact, Solomon is the writer of this book of Ecclesiastes, where he, he, he says things like, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I'm just going to try publishing that as a bestseller self-help book and see what happens. That's doubt. He struggled with the doubt of what is this life all about? So doubts maybe aren't so unusual, whether we acknowledge them or not. In fact, doubts are often what cause us not to trust in God when we, when we feel like we're struggling or, or, or not to gather and worship weekly because, well, is that really important for me? Or not to talk to God about the things going on in our lives through prayer. Doubt causes those things. And so instead of burying our doubts deep down and saying we don't have them, what should we do with our doubts instead when we struggle with that? Well, I'd actually like to propose that the best way to deal with doubt is to add more doubt. Now, that might sound strange, but what I'm saying is, when you doubt, ask the necessary questions. The psalmist, remember, he says he wants to speak with God. When can I go and speak with God, he says. He wants an answer to the doubters when they say, well, where is your God? He wants to doubt his own doubt and help, have help from God not to actually believe in his doubt. Really then, to deal with the struggle of doubt when it's affecting your very soul, you have to be honest about your struggle and about your doubt. Don't cover it up. Don't act like you're not struggling or not doubting. In fact, people throughout Scripture expressed their feelings, their thoughts of doubt. Even Thomas, Jesus' own disciple, expressed his doubt after Jesus' resurrection. So we certainly deal with the struggle of doubt in our lives, and that can show up in a variety of ways. But another big one I think we deal with is that struggle of distress. I'd say if doubt makes you question the existence of God, distress makes you question the character of God. This is really the soul struggle where we might ask, why? We acknowledge God exists and we say things like, well, why is God allowing this to happen to me or to someone else? Or is God actually a good God when things seem really bad? But in this struggle, we have to remember that suffering is a bad thing, but God 
uses it for good. We look at scriptures like 2 Corinthians 1. We read a larger portion of that earlier. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God turns our struggle into the ability to comfort others as he comforts us as well. Romans 8, 20, 28 as well, kind of speaks for itself. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We look at stories too, like Joseph and his brothers. As Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, and it takes years before it, we realize just what God was doing in his life. Joseph himself says, to his brothers, you intended this for harm, but God used it for good. We could look at, too, how God used Jesus' suffering and death for good, so that you and I could be saved. In fact, because Jesus has endured these things, Jesus joins us when we go, in, go through our times of distress. Well, we might want to push God away and say, God, just take this away or I don't want anything to do with you. God wants us to know that we're, we're never alone. In fact, his invitation is to, is to pull him close, to express our struggles of distress. In fact, we could just look at how the psalmist hands, handles this. In the last verse we read, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He essentially asks himself, why are you so distressed? Why are you feeling this way? Because your hope is in God, and you can still praise him. Really, this is the way we should deal with distress, by going to God and placing our hope in him as we pull God even closer. So I think we certainly deal with doubt, we deal with distress, but another big struggle we deal with is that of, of dominance. I would propose this is maybe the most dangerous soul struggle because you might not even know you're struggling in this case. Now, what do I mean by a struggle of dominance? It means you're dominating, you're on top, you think you have it all, you're the master of everything. You feel like your soul has all it needs. You're self-sufficient. You're happy. You're feeling like you've got it made. But without God, our souls are really empty. No matter how you might try to fill it with your own dominance, with your own self-sufficiency, it's only God who can fill our souls. It's as simple as that. And so if you've been listening to this and thinking, well, you know, I really don't have any of these struggles, so I'm good. I don't really doubt. I don't feel that distressed at this moment in my life. I, I don't feel like I have that many soul struggles right now. You might actually be struggling with dominance. And so it's a great reminder to make sure that you're not trying to fill your soul of your own ability, but letting God do that. 
In fact, Jesus never invites us to dominance. He invites us to dependence on him, full dependence on Jesus to fill you, to fill your soul. I actually like to go back to the verse we intentionally skipped over in Psalm 42. I haven't talked about this yet. Right in the middle there, the psalmist says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. When had the psalmist been in worship? Used to. It sounds like his doubts, his distress, his dominance, whatever the struggle that was going on in this moment, it had pulled him out of his dependence on God. And so he thinks back, he remembers that, he, he, he longs for that time. And so what's your soul struggle? Is it, is it one of these we've talked about or, or maybe it's something else? whatever it is, I want you to remember that there is someone with you in your struggle. It's Jesus. As Jesus, in fact, is, is drawing near the cross in John 12, 27, he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour so that he could save you from your sins, so that he could be with you in your time of struggle. It's interesting, too, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, beaten and bloody, he says these words in John 19, I am thirsty. Sound familiar? Jesus, just as the psalmist says, Jesus thirsts for God, his Father, in it he only receives a sponge of vinegar. And because his thirst wasn't quenched, we will never have to encounter that struggle. Because he went to the cross for you and for me and took our pain, our sin, our struggle there, we will never have to encounter the cross. So your soul may certainly struggle in this world, but it will never be lost. It will not be destroyed because Jesus has come to restore your soul, to quench your thirst, to give you life. That's the promise. That's the truth. And that's why there's hope for every soul. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Gracious God, we're so uh, thankful today that uh, you do sh uh, shower us with your love, uh, your mercy, and that because Jesus, our Savior, uh, endured all things and took all things to the cross and left them there, he, he joins us in our times of struggle and, and pain, no matter what it is that we're going through, even when those things affect our, uh, our, us, ourselves as a whole, our very soul. So Lord, guide us uh, through whatever struggle we may, we may endure and help us to draw even closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.